Chapter Twenty One of The Secret Mark by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Chapter Twenty One A Theft in the Night. There is no feeling of desolation so complete as that which sweeps over one who is utterly alone in a great city at night. The desert, the Arctic wilderness, the heart of the forest, the boundless sea, all these have their terrors, but for downright desolation, give me the heart of a strange city at night. Hardly had Lucille covered two blocks on her journey from the bookshop, when this feeling of utter loneliness engulfed her like a bank of fog. Shuddering, she paused to consider, and as she did so, fancied she caught the bulk of a shadow disappearing into a doorway to the right of her. "'Where am I, and where am I to go?' she asked herself in a wild attempt to gather her scattered senses. In vain she endeavored to recall the name of the street she was on at that moment. Her efforts to recall the route she had taken in getting there were quite as futile. "'Wish I were in Chicago,' she breathed. "'The very worst of it is better than this. There at least I have friends somewhere. Here I have none anywhere. Wish Florence were here.' At that she caught herself up. There was no use in wishing for things that could not be. The question was, what did she intend to do? Was she to seek out a hotel and spend the night there, to resume her search for the first person in America who had sold the ancient copy of the Angler? Or was she to take the first train back to Chicago? She had a feeling that she had seen the man she sought, and that weeks of search might not reveal him again yet she disliked going back to Frank Morrow with so little to show for his hundred dollars invested. "'Anyway,' she said at last with a shudder, "'I've got to get out of here. Boo! It seems like the very depth of the slums.' She started on at a brisk pace. Having gone a half-block, she faced about suddenly. She fancied she heard footsteps behind her. She saw nothing but an empty street. "'Nerves,' she told herself. I've got to get over that. I know what's the matter with me, though. I haven't eaten for hours. I'll find a restaurant pretty soon and get a cup of coffee. There is a strange thing about our great cities. In certain sections you may pass a half-dozen coffee shops and at least three policemen in a single block. In other sections you may go an entire mile without seeing either. Evidently eating places like policemen crave company of their own kind. Lucille had happened upon a policeless and eat-shopless section of New York. For a full twenty minutes she tramped on through the fog, growing more and more certain at every step that she was being followed by someone, and not coming upon a single person or shop that offered her either food or protection. Suddenly she found herself in the midst of a throng of people. A movie theater had disgorged this throng. Like a sudden flood of water, they surrounded her and bore her on. They poured down the street to break up into two smaller streams, one of which flowed on down the street, and the other into a hole in the ground. Having been caught in the latter stream and not knowing what else to do, eager for companionship of whatever sort, the girl allowed herself to be borne along and down into the hole. Down a steep flight of stairs she was half carried, to be at last deposited on a platform, alongside of which in due time a train of electric cars came rattling in. "'The subway,' she breathed. "'It will take me anywhere, providing I know where I want to go.' 
Just as she was beginning to experience a sense of relief from contact with this flowing mass of humanity, she was given a sudden shock. To the right of her, through a narrow gap in the throng, she recognized a face. The gap closed up at once and the face disappeared, but the image of it remained. It was the face of the man she had seen in the shop, he of the birthmark on his chin. "'No doubt of it now,' she said half aloud. "'He is following me.' Then, like some hunted creature of the wild, she began looking about her for a way of escape. Before her there whizzed a train. The moving cars came to a halt. A door slid open. She leaped within. The next instant the door closed and she was borne away. To what place? She could not tell. All she knew was that she was on her way. Quite confident that she had evaded her pursuer, she settled back in her seat to fall into a drowsy stupor. How far she rode she could not tell. Having at last been roused to action by the pangs of hunger, she rose and left the car. Only hope there is some place to eat near, she sighed. Again she found herself lost in a jam. The legitimate theaters were disgorging their crowds. She was at this time, though she did not know it, in the downtown district. Her right hand was disengaged. In her left she carried a small leather bag. As she struggled through the throng, she experienced difficulty in retaining her hold on this bag. Of a sudden she felt a mighty wrench on its handle, and the next instant it was gone. There could be no mistaking that sudden pull. It had been torn from her grasp by a vandal of some sort. As she turned with a gasp, she caught sight of a face that vanished instantly, the face of the man with the birthmark on his chin. Instantly the whole situation flashed through her mind. This man had been following her to regain possession of one or both of the books, which at this moment reposed in her coat pocket. He had made the mistake of thinking these books were in the bag. He would search the bag, and then... She reasoned no further. A car door was about to close. She dashed through it at imminent risk of being caught in the crush of its swing, and the next instant the car whirled away. "'Missed him that time,' she breathed. "'He will search the bag. When he discovers his mistake it will be too late. The bird has flown. As to the bag, he may keep it. It contains only a bit of a pink garment which I can afford to do without, and two clean handkerchiefs.' Fifteen minutes later, when she left the car, she found herself in a very much calmer state of mind. Convinced that she had shaken herself free from her undesirable shadow, and fully convinced also that nothing now remained but to eat a belated supper and board the next train for her home city, she went about the business of finding out what that next train might be, and from what depot it left. Fortunately, a nearby hotel office was able to furnish her the information needed and to call a taxi. A half hour later she found herself enjoying a hot lunch in the depot, and at the same time mentally reveling in the soft comfort of lower seven of car 36, which she was soon to occupy. End of chapter 21